Hey y'all, welcome to Fast Facts for Gen Z. I'm your host, Callie, and I don't know anything about anything. Come with me on my exploration of the world, and I'll tell you everything you ever and never wanted to know through the eyes of Gen Z. Today's episode, Gen Z's growing involvement in the workforce and what it's like to be an emergency medical technician, or EMT. Today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Anna Grace. Hi, Anna. Hi! <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about who you are and why you're here today? My name is Anna Grace Burns, and I am 18 years young, and at the age of 16, I decided that I was done with being terrified of medical emergencies, and so I took a class and I became a state-certified EMT. Uh, can you tell me briefly about, like, what that is and how you got the certification? So an EMT is, it's the person in the back of the ambulance. It's, you know, whenever grandma falls in three o'clock in the morning and someone needs to come pick her up, or if there's a really bad car wreck and you see the ambulance bussing down the highway, <laughs> then you will see these fancy people in these ugly pants pop out of the ambulance and do what they gotta do. Nice. Uh, so you... You worked a little bit as an EMT pre-COVID, right? Yes. Yeah, so I wasn't officially working, but I did do my clinicals mm. and did all the necessary training in order to become a state-certified EMT mm -hmm. because while I was in the midst of my class, I turned 17 right about in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And in North Carolina, at least, to be a practicing EMT, you have to be 18 for, you know, insurance purposes and right, liability right. issues. But it was... One of the most formulative experiences that I've ever had in my life. What did a day in the life look like for, for an EMT, pre-COVID at least? So pre-COVID, shifts are typically 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. That was what my clinical uh, rotations were like. But in the county that we live in, they're on 24-72s. So you're on shift for 24 hours and then off shift for 72 hours, mm. which I think is pretty cool. At least for me, whenever I did my clinicals, I showed up to the station at about 6 a.m., introduced myself to everybody, got my pager, got any tools that I didn't already have, and mm. just kind of waited. What a lot of people don't know is that at least in the stations that I was at is it's not 24-7 calls. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of downtime. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe in like New York City, mm -hmm. but in our small little podunk town, <laughs> um, there's not always things going on. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of downtime, a lot of movie watching, just wait for something to happen. And, you know, it would either be four hours or four minutes before mm -hmm. something would happen. And then once you get a call, your pager will go beep, 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 and it's super annoying, but then you throw all your things into your little backpack, mm -hmm. and you hop on the back of the ambulance, and you drive there, you know, whether or not it's, like, super bad and you need to go lights and sirens, or if it's just, like, somebody tripped and fell and, like, twisted their ankle, mm -hmm. you know. Not a life-threatening situation. Yeah, not a life-threatening situation. Then we would just, you know, make our way there. If you had to guess, like, now, obviously it's probably a little bit different what their day-to-day -day looks like 
What do you What do you think it would be? Definitely extended PPE, um, which mm. is personal protective equipment for those of you who haven't heard that term flown around in the past year. Extensive PPE and definitely a lot more caution mm -hmm. because, you know, even pre-COVID, there was always measures that we would take. You know, you wear your gloves and there's certain calls that you would have to wear a handy dandy mask for. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the masks are always on. And if it is a possible COVID case... You know, you get your gown, your face shield, your mm -hmm. double mask, um, gloves, and all that thing to make sure that you don't take that back with you. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that in-station life has changed too much mm. because they're, you know, exposed to each other for long periods of time. Sure. That so becomes I, almost your, your bubble. Yeah, exactly. It is your bubble because, you know, that's, I mean, that's basically who you live with. Mm -hmm. You know, some people do 4872s. Wow. Which is a lot. Luckily, there is a lot of beds, a lot of bunk beds, and covers and blankets, and no one is going to judge you if you fall asleep in the middle of the dining room on the table. Mm -hmm. I know that from experience. <laughs> nice. I remember I was working in a town about 30 minutes away from us. I had to wake up at like 4 o'clock in the morning for my th uh, 6 a.m. shift. Mm -hmm. And by like 10 a.m., I was fighting to keep my eyes open. I'm sure. And I had drifted off, and then I woke up to the sound of footsteps, and they were just walking past me. They yeah. didn't think twice. They were just like, all right, well, she's asleep. Working as a as an EMT, like obviously that's a that's a frontline healthcare position. You're right on the front lines of the healthcare system, and you've seen both sides of it. So I was wondering uh, what your thoughts are on universal healthcare. Whenever Callie and I were preparing, there was she asked me if there's anything that I specifically wanted to talk about, and universal healthcare was one of them. There's one particular case that comes to mind whenever I think about why we need universal health care. So we got a call for somebody on a field um, who had twisted their ankle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a pretty common thing, twist your ankle, playing soccer, football, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so we just were driving regularly. And then we got an update over the radio that police on scene said that the foot was twisted all the way around. Yikes. And that's not that a twisted ankle. Yeah, no. I mean, that it is broken. twisted, but it's uh -huh. twisted in directions it's not meant to go to. Mm -hmm. So we immediately turned to lights and sirens, and mm -hmm. we quickly, quickly drove our way there. Mm -hmm. And upon getting on scene, I see this guy lying on the field, absolutely stone-faced, like not reacting to it whatsoever. And I look at his mm -hmm. ankle, and first of all, it's not twisted all the way around. Thank you, police officers. Thanks. As we began to cut his sock off, I saw, y'all know that little bone right above your foot that, like, sticks out? Mm -hmm. It was sticking out uh, about three inches too far. It wasn't, uh. it, was, it hadn't broken skin, but mm -hmm. it most certainly was not in the position that it was supposed to be in. That's not how bones should be shaped. Nope, bones don't do that naturally. <laughs> I was like, oh, crap. That's probably very painful, but he was just lying there, just no reaction whatsoever. Wow. One of the first things my paramedic says to him is, hey, dude, let's get you some pain meds because standing you up is going to hurt, sitting you down is going to hurt, doing anything is going to hurt. And mm -hmm. he adamantly refused. Hmm. My medic was like, 
what? Like, <laughs> why is this guy not wanting medication? What immediately went to my mind, because, you know, imagining the worst case scenario. Of course. You know, I was thinking, you know, maybe he's a recovering addict. And that was like my first thought as well when yeah. he was talking about it. Um, maybe he's a recovering addict and doesn't want to, you know, step back in. Mm -hmm. Then my medic said something that didn't even occur to me. Mm -hmm. He said, hey, you know this won't make the ambulance trip cost anymore, right? And the guy looks at him and he looked pretty confused and he was like, really? And my medic was like, yeah, no, like this is all part of it. Like the ambulance is a flat trip. The guy was like, oh, well, and I could see that he was contemplating on it. Mm-hmm. But then he was like, no, no, like, it's okay. My five foot two self was the one who had to stand this man up. This is a grown man. <laughs> and I had to stand him up on one leg. So a lot of upper body strength was put to test there. We get him in the back of the ambulance and we start talking to him, you know, talking about what happened, mm -hmm. you know, how he's feeling. And then just asking, you know, making general conversation after all the important stuff has been talked about. Mm. And then the thing slipped. I don't have insurance. Mm. The entire time I had seen him, that was the most emotion that I'd seen him show. Mm -hmm. Was when he revealed to us that he didn't have insurance. Mm -hmm. And then he was saying, I didn't even call. I was just going to put ice on it and hope it got better. Mm -hmm. um, because he was so scared that getting this pretty serious injury taken care of was mm -hmm. going to put him in the debt and I've been pretty lucky in my life with mm -hmm. my health issues um but you know my mom hasn't and I can see the toll that medical bills can take on families and people mm -hmm. and I really sympathized with him in that moment or empathized rather because I really could put myself in his shoes mm -hmm. you know we just we got to the hospital we were pretty close we got to the hospital and as we were wheeling him in he pulled his hat down below his eyes and he started to cry mm -hmm. and you know that was the last I saw of him I don't know what his official diagnosis was or, mm -hmm. you know, how anything ended up working out for him. But he stuck with me, not just because of his pretty awesome injury, <laughs> but because he was so scared mm -hmm. that he was going to have to go into debt because he was doing something that he enjoyed doing and happened to get hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, from a very young age, I've had an in-depth understanding that our medical system is flawed and mm. it's not accessible to everybody. Yeah, no. yeah. Being able to survive in the American healthcare system requires a lot of privilege. It absolutely does, and mm. there's a lot that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And I hope to be part of the generation that steps forward and fixes it. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. I hope that Gen Z is the generation that really commits to stopping cycles of of abuse both societally and individually. Your story paints a very clear picture of the problems in the healthcare system, and yet the topic of universal healthcare is kind of touchy in politics and in uh, in daily life. Like what what about this subject? makes the debate complicated? Like, why isn't there an easy answer? There isn't an easy answer because EMTs and paramedics are also chronically underpaid. 
they do not get nearly enough money for the work that they do. We are quite literally the hand between life and death. You know, obviously part of the fees that come with riding in the ambulance, with going to the hospital, goes towards EMTs and paramedics. Sure. So if we were to lower the cost, then what are we going to do about paying EMTs and paramedics and paying them a wage that they can survive off of? It's a sticky situation, you know, who deserves the money? Yeah, where's the money going if not to EMTs? That's a great question. I couldn't tell you. We have beautiful hospitals in our state and very well-equipped hospitals for emergency situations. And there's constantly being renovations done. Mm. Some of which are legitimate and important oh yes absolutely and another thing that makes it messy is if we have free health care you know at least cheaper health care than you know people who are abusing the health care system and just want to go to the hospital because they're you know lonely or bored because that's that's an issue in some other countries i have done a lot of research and looked into the healthcare system in countries such as Australia mm. and there's people who will call 20 times a day mm-hmm. just because they want somebody to talk to mm-hmm. it diminishes the work that can actually be done and you know mm-hmm. there should be more mental health resources mm-hmm. and some people as sad as it sounds really are just after the happy go-go juice that we can give them if they say they're hurting yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like that, those are reasons why the solution to healthcare being too expensive isn't just cheaper healthcare. It has to be also better healthcare. Yeah. You know, certain police officers have heavy duty assault rifles, mm-hmm. and we don't have a machine that does CPR automatically to reduce the risk of the person who's doing CPR getting exhausted Mm -hmm. or the problem of doing CPR while in a moving vehicle, Mm -hmm. which, for those of you that don't know, is a bad idea. Don't do CPR in a moving vehicle. It's called a Lucas device, and it basically is... So this device does exist. It's not something that, like, you need funding to develop. It's something that you could have... But it's very expensive, and I think one Lucas device goes for about $20,000. Wow. It's basically a giant suction cup that you attach to people, and it does CPR for you. But we don't have enough funding to get one for to every emergency service uh, department. Right. Yeah, the, the price of that uh, medical device brings me to another issue, which is that, like, obviously the blame for high prices doesn't fall solely on hospitals because hospitals have to be able to purchase incredibly expensive medical equipment and pharmaceuticals. Much of the time, medications are hugely overpriced by pharmaceutical companies Oh, oh and, boy, and medical yes. devices as well. Obviously, medical devices are expensive, but they don't have to be $20,000. One of my least favorite subjects to talk about, but something that I know quite a bit about is like insulin prices. Insulin mm-hmm. prices have increased by... Again, I don't know this for sure. I think I just read this somewhere. But insulin prices have gone up by 200,000% since, I believe it was the 1950s. And that is just... It's mind-boggling and it's unbelievable, And it's just... It's extraordinary. Big Pharma is... Big Pharma. (laughs) 
stealing. It's Mm -hmm. stealing from the wallets of the poor and Mm -hmm. the people who are chronically ill with something that is, you know, inevitable or Mm -hmm. unpreventable, such as diabetes. You know, type 1 diabetes is, there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's just the luck of the draw. Yeah, I mean, the question pharmaceutical companies are asking is how much will a person pay for their life? And the answer is almost anything. Yeah. And so they charge almost anything. It's just absolutely insane. Insulin is insulin. It's not like it's had some big glow up in (laughs) the last 50 years. They figured it out. It's It's just stayed that way. It's simply insulin. Mm -hmm. I know people who are diabetic Mm -hmm. and people who can't afford their insulin and so they're rationing. Mm-hmm. And that goes into a whole other conversation about the prevalence of eating disorders and how mm-hmm. easily they can get started, mm-hmm. especially with a flawed healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll just eat everything I want to eat at the end of the day and then use my insulin then. Mm-hmm. And then I will starve myself for the next 24 hours until I will binge and eat all this food again so I can use my insulin mm-hmm. just once mm-hmm. rather than you know, having small meals throughout the day and having to use insulin periodically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a sticky situation that also can... doesn't have a single faceted answer. No, it does not. And it's shameful. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the word that comes to my mind initially mm-hmm. is it's shameful. You know, it's just it's incredibly flawed and I just I wish that there was an easy answer to fix it all. It's a problem that has an answer, but it's a complicated answer. Let's be honest, the government's not very good at giving complicated answers. No, especially when it seems simple to those who, you know, from a glancing view, it seems simple. Healthcare should be cheaper. We'll, we'll move on from this, this topic soon because it's kind of sad. But are there any issues in the healthcare system that people tend to overlook in favor of thinking about how it's too expensive? Like, are there other underlying problems that you see? Women in healthcare is extraordinarily important because women's symptoms can be chronically overlooked. Mm. When I was, I would say about 16, I was in the height of a vicious eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very sick. I was losing hair. My resting heart rate was about 110. Normally for a person my size, it would be about 80, 70. Mm -hmm. But mine was 110 because my heart was working overtime. Mm -hmm. And I finally decided to take the leap and tell my doctor that I was struggling. She said to me, and I'll never forget this, she said, it seems like you've got a pretty good handle on it, so I think you'll be okay. And I was not. I was not okay. I was killing myself. I tried to ask for help, and she, if anything, fed into my Mm. sick mindset that I was fine and that I wasn't doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. I went on for about two more years without getting any help. Mm -hmm. I held on to that for a long time because if my doctor didn't believe there was anything wrong with me, then mm-hmm. why should I believe there was anything wrong with me? Sure, yeah, we're taught to place so much value in the opinions of these people and we're taught that these are the people we should be reaching out to. And if you reach out for help and there's no help there, how do you ever recover? 
it's been statistically proven that, especially women of color, their symptoms are overlooked or undermined for God knows what reason. Well. Um, but, well, I mean, besides the racism, there's no real reason why sure. their symptoms should be overlooked. Right, yeah. No, no actual no legitimate actual. reason. Yeah, exactly. That's an issue, you know. It's where we struggle. It, something needs to be done about it. And whether it's better training mm -hmm. or just a wake-up call for all doctors, mm -hmm. you know, there there's a published piece of work um, that medical students are meant to study that says that people, African-American people, don't feel pain the same way that white people do. Students yes. still study this? I'm not sure if they still study it, but I know as of quite recently mm. that was still in published pieces of work that are meant to be studied. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that is so <laughs> ridiculous and right. not true. Yeah, completely and false. Completely false yeah. information. Systematic grasps of racism still affect us day to day. Of course. And it's terrifying because, you know, it's 2021. You'd think that we would be better off. You'd think that we would be in a better place in terms of race and religion and sex, but we're not. You'd think we're and not. you'd hope, and you're right, we're not. So moving on from that realm. You've worked in several other jobs before in addition to being an EMT. What were they and like how did they differ from the experience of, of doing your clinicals as, a, as an EMT? So I worked the very glamorous job of McDonald's. Um, nice. For about two years. Mm -hmm. You know the high-paced tense environment was not unfamiliar to me as I began my clinicals, mm -hmm. but it's a very different situation, you know. Obviously, yeah. Different things, but, but very similar feelings, like, just within yourself. Yeah, absolutely. The adrenaline rush and the ability to think clearly in tense situations is something that I, you know, as much as I hated that job, I can thank it for showing me how to be calm in tense situations. It was a weird job, and... Mm -hmm definitely teaching me about working with the public mm. and what that's like yeah engaging with the public as an emt especially in super stressful uh situations for everybody involved i can imagine that mcdonald's would be surprisingly helpful yelling at me because i allegedly did something wrong is mm. common in any place workplace that you're going to go into and learning sure. how to accept that and learning how to roll with that is crucial mm -hmm. yeah definitely what else have you done other than McDonald's? Another job that I have that I'm still currently working at is Airy, and that is an amazing job, first of all, because the clothes are so cute. <laughs> Second of all, because, you know, it's just a great environment. It's definitely my favorite job that I've had that's like a traditional job. Mm. Switching over to being a full-time nanny, which Love I'm it. very excited for. But I've done a lot of babysitting in my time. That's definitely the favorite thing that I've done to earn money because I love kids. Mm, yeah, I felt um, that. I felt that. I think being trained as an EMT makes 
some parts of babysitting a little bit less stressful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's also super appealing to parents when they find out that I'm a state-certified EMT. Yeah. I am who I am because I'm a hard worker, Mm -hmm. and that was instilled in me in a very young age, and I put it to practice, you know, as soon as I turned 15. Yeah, and you, you put your mind to something, you can do it because you will work at it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're looking for a sign to get a job and work, even though it's very confusing and hard times, I encourage you to do it. Having your own money is extremely liberating. Totally. And also just feeling that sense of accomplishment after, you know, a long, hard day at work because you made it through and you didn't cuss anybody out and you didn't get fired. You know, I consider all of those things wins. Yeah. I'm extremely privileged to have been able to get a job and have a car, you know, even though sometimes I swear I hate my car, but I'm very lucky to, <laughs> very have, lucky to have it to get a car, even though it was my uncle's old car. Sure. And I got sure. it for a steep price of a cheeseburger and a Coke. You know, I have been extremely lucky to be able to work because I understand that, you know, not everybody has a parent who will drive them if they don't have their license. Not everybody has the opportunity to get a car and Mm -hmm. reliable transportation is one of the first questions they ask you Mm -hmm. whenever you get a job. Totally. And people shouldn't have to be those, you know, inspiring stories where they walk 10 miles to work every day. That shouldn't. Yeah, that's not a story of inspiration. That's a story of heartbreak. Yeah, that's a, that's horrifying, and it's not, you know, aw, it's wow, it, because that just shows the length that people will go to to get minimum wage. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, what will people do to survive? And it's almost anything. Yeah, it's it's scary. So we're going to wrap up in a second, but Anna, what's, what's next for you? You talked about college, talked about being a special education major. I am planning to attend Appalachian State University in the fall of 2021, and I am looking to get a job in emergency dispatch when I'm up there to put my certification to use, Mm -hmm. but then I am planning to become a special education teacher and get the F out of North Carolina. (laughs) I admire your conviction and your well-laid-out long-term plan. I have had a life plan since I was about five years old. (laughs) Oh, I know that about you. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Anna. Thank you so much for talking to me. All right. Have a wonderful rest of the day. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, Anna. Bye. Thank you for listening to Fast Facts for Gen Z. Big thanks to Anna Grace for coming on today. You can follow this podcast to be notified when new episodes come out, and you can find transcripts of every episode on my website at www.fastfactsforgenz.wordpress.com. This is Callie, signing off.